You really liked doing that, didn't you? I really, really did. What were we talking about? About how we measure... Health metrics. Well, we're... Or quality of life quality metrics, of life. more generally. Yeah. yeah, which I think is a fun topic because it really intersects with economics, but you care more about the health specifically. Yeah, well, I think that... State it? Yeah, but I think that they're... Like, you can't disconnect them. You no. know what I mean? Because no. I think inherently in quality of life... Or in, like... What are we calling it again? Quality of life metrics. Yeah, yeah, inherently in quality of life metrics, like, health is there in a really significant way. Like, you can't have increased quality... Well, depending on how you define quality of life. Because, you know, if you're just talking about happiness... Like, people with really short lives can be super happy. Mm-hmm. People with hardly any money can be super happy. And people with a lot of money can be really depressed. People with a lot of money can get really sick and die. So, yeah. um, I guess that's that's probably a good place to start is how, how are we going to talk about, like, defining what is quality of life? Well, in the... In the quest to do the most good for the most people where everyone's not miserable you first have to define what good is but if we can define that as just generally happy with their circumstances and not get too bogged down in the weeds of what that is because <laughs> we have there's so we many have, weeds there we have to cut it off somewhere because like the most good for the most people some people could be doing better and on average have a higher quality of life and it could be high enough, in fact, that it brings up the total average. Right. Like <laughs> so, <laughs> a couple billionaires on an island of peasants looks really, really nice. But it yeah, isn't. for an average quality of life metric, for sure. Yeah, but so that's that's actually another discussion in economics is why you can't just include like in the more liberal side of economics podcasts. Um, they will talk about how a lot of times progress for a country is measured on GDP, but it misses a whole swathe of the population. Well, that's not really a good way to phrase it. It doesn't miss a swathe of the population, but it doesn't reflect the fact that most people are miserable and don't care about GDP. And it's not like it's not good for the long-term health of a nation to only consider how much money that produces you also need more facets, but generally just because it's simple and it's already difficult, like it's simple in that it's one number, but it's already difficult enough to measure, all we usually care about is like GDP when we're talking about how a country is improving. Yeah, but I also think that you have to take into account, like to distill it down some, you know, if we're talking about comparing country to country as compared to looking into a country, the metrics change exponentially because like if you look at yes i think in general gdp can be a good metric for quality of life if you're comparing country to country because by far and away in the united states we have a better quality of life for every single even the poorest homeless individual than in some other countries with an extremely low gdp so that it may be nominal but it's still there So, like, I think we needed to distill it down a little more to, like, whether it's going to be in the country or, like, if we're talking globally as a metric for wellness. And if we're going to do that, then it, like, you have to have some kind of metric 
that is stable and takes into account specific situations per country. You know what I mean? If someone scores a 75 on this new metric that we're talking about, whatever it is, yeah. like that has to be, that 75 has to mean the same relatively for someone in the U.S. as it does for someone in Lesotho or wherever. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why that's the country that came to mind. But is that a real country? Yeah, it's the, con- it's the little country that's like inside South Africa. I've never heard of it. Like, so South Africa is the whole bottom of Africa. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a little country that's inside South Africa. They have the, I'm pretty sure they have the highest mm-hmm. uh, HIV AIDS oh. rate in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's a good, it's a good comparison then because it's extremes are easy. You do and you don't have to come up with a ton of different metrics because at the end of the day, you can just go to a country and ask people how happy they are. Because they do that. I mean, that is, I think, yeah. I think it's the World Health Organization does that. And part of the problem is it's just not used. But it, you can draw some really interesting conclusions between, you know, GDP per person and um, happiness and how they're not as tightly related as people would like, like to think that they are. Yeah. Well, and I think actually, like well, generally, we say that except for the fact that I think that one of the I think that the happiest nation it's one of those Scandinavian ones. It's either like Denmark or well, the Netherlands isn't Scandinavian, but it's like Denmark or the Netherlands or something like that is the happiest nation. Mm-hmm. But they also like talking about the global economy. They're also definitely in the top countries for gdp yes so it's not inseparable although gdp i do think is as we have a more like holistic understanding of what is like quality of life um gdp gdp becomes less relevant i still think you it's not inseparable gdp and happiness or it is inseparable yeah like to an extent not necessarily happiness but quality of life Right. I mean, the more means you have, the more you can improve your quality of life, but only to a point. Yeah. Like you said earlier, an extremely poor person can still be very, very happy. Yes. And studies show that the most rich among us are the most depressed. So totally true. Money doesn't buy happiness. Mm -hmm. That's drilled into us. We all know that. Right. It can secure the means to happiness, but ultimately it has to come from us. And I guess then the question is also what... What systems in a country enable that? So I think it's pretty hard and it's going to vary from country to country. And they have this conversation a lot when they're talking about um, like economic structures in like the U.S. versus, again, Scandinavia is my go-to example because it's the only place that I know anything about. (laughs) But um, like it's going to come down to cultural understandings of what happiness is, I think. so, like you take, for example, a place like Denmark, a place like Norway, or whatever, where they have really high GDP, high happiness ratings, and they also have a really cohesive economic structure um, where most of the people agree with what the government, not everybody by any means, but most of the people agree with like the way that the government handles their economics. But one key, like such a central factor to all of that is they're so culturally cohesive like norway is 99 percent norwegians like white norwegians and they all have the same ideas for what happiness looks like and whatever 
and there's no way and it's a be- it's a beautiful thing at times in the US like it leads to amazing connections amazing experiences in the US the fact that we're so diverse but we're never going to have that same like cultural cohesion where we're all viewing like this is a win in the same way well especially if you try and centralize it that's why decentralized authority is so important to the US because it's such a diverse and spatially large area to govern that it makes no sense to try and do it. You know, it doesn't matter with the technology. It makes no sense to try and do it all from the federal government level. But yes, yes, yeah, I agree. That's a tangent. But yes, your point of being pretty similar culturally, there's not much to argue about. Like if everyone agrees on the same basic things, there's nothing to argue about. It's a lot easier to put systems in place that allow people to become happy. Yeah. Or to reach their version of happiness. And... So this goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, like even on top of, you know, happiness or whatever, like if we're backing it up to like what we're actually supposed to be talking about, (laughs) quality of life, you know, you get into the, and this is what I know know more about than economics, obviously, is the health side of things, Mm -hmm. um, is like, what, what does wellness, that's a big buzzword now. Yeah. Like I said... What does wellness mean? What does wellness look like? It could be, you know, if you're just talking from a purely physical standpoint, is that like the the ratio of like fat to muscle that you have that allows you to be the most productive and live the longest? Or is it like what allows you to have the best mental health that you can possibly have where you're comfortable living in the world that you're living in the way that you're living in it or is it purely like mental like where it doesn't matter what physical aspects are hindering or helping you it's just like if you're happy where you're at that's the best quality of life that you could have um this is a huge debate in the clinical academic community right now that's like really it really can go back and forth, you know, because obviously like physicians, they're going to argue that because they, most physicians anyways, like there are some physicians who get to see the same patients on a really regular basis, but most physicians who have patients come in and out so fast, they don't know them personally all the time. They don't always know like what their mental health is like or whatever. Um, Those people, they're just wanting their patient to live and keep living you know, so from their perspective, it's going to be like, you need to get physically healthy. You need to like reduce your likelihoods of like getting any of these sicknesses. You know, you need to make it where if you do get one of these sicknesses, like you're able to survive the treatment that you're going to have to have for it. And all of that is a perfectly valid, like evaluation of wellness, but from an individual perspective, like we all know that it's not that simple, right? Because like you're obviously in better shape than I am, but like things can get fucked up in our heads and we may be in the best physical condition of our life and like feel like shit anyways. Right. So and well, like for I don't instance, know how to take that into account. People often talk about like models, supermodels, or some of the mentally, some of the least healthy people because they constantly have to worry about how they look. Even though, well, even I would like, argue they're not physically healthy either. But well, if you're talking about like the stereotypical, like super thin, like 
anorexic bulimic model, but like models are, you know, in pretty good physical shape because they have to work out to maintain those physiques that people enjoy seeing. But they, because there's so much pressure, like that just, I mean, it's just agreement that, yeah, I mean, you can be physically very healthy and mentally kind of fucked up or yeah. the other way around. You can be physically very unhealthy, but mentally in the best place you've ever been. And it doesn't matter. And I ultimately, I would guess talking about this now, I would say if I was going to choose, I mean, ultimately it's going to come down to the individual. So if you can have a happy or uh, an accurate happiness index, then that's probably the best thing to do. I mean, just ask people how happy they are. How do you get people, how do you, how do you get a country to the point that people can most easily achieve their version of happiness? And I would argue that it's all in your head how happy you are. So what ultimately matters is not necessarily how physically in shape you are. For me, that is a large part of my happiness is not necessarily how I look, but how physically um, fit I am. For instance, the other day I went for a run and I had to walk. And that's the first time I had to walk on a run in like years. And I was pissed and sad at myself that I let myself get that far. And I'm not out of shape. I mean, I biked 100 miles the other week. But, you know, that was something I valued was my ability to do that. But that's still my mental health being affected. You know, it's not my physical health being affected yeah. by the fact that I had to walk. And so I would argue, like, ultimately it all comes down to your mental health of how happy you are. And so how do you enable a country where people are mentally happy? Because yes. if they're mentally happy, would that also mean they're more productive? And if, is that even important? So this is, this is going back to, like, the cultural differences that I was talking about. Um, so one thing that has been shown in study after study is that the, the like, this is one example of many, but the more that people experience gratitude, the more mentally healthy they are. Like the generally, the better like feelings about the world that they have, the better feelings about themselves they have. If you experience and practice a lot of gratitude in your life. Um, and not that I haven't, um, especially in this past year, like had like, like mental health struggles but like that's one thing um growing up in texas like i did it's a really big thing it's like you say thank you to everyone for everything all the time mm -hmm. you think about the people who helped you get to where you were like you like my parents always told me like you know whenever i was feeling down about something or pissed about something or whatever it is they were like well you live a pretty good life and you should be thankful for that and I think today in the U.S. we see a lot of people saying, no, I don't have to be thankful for something that I'm not happy with. Like, if I'm, if something is pissing me off or whatever, like, I'm, I'm purely justified in my, my feeling of being pissed off. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but the fact of the matter is, if you think about the things that you have that other people don't, if you think about the things that, that are special in your life and the people that are special to you and be thankful for those things. I think that that, and I've, I've, I know for me when I've been in bad places here, like it's been super helpful for me, like just to like sit and think about like, you know, I may be pissed right now because my boss is a douchebag. I may be pissed right now because like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but you know, I have, amazing friends that love me and care about me that I can reach out to. I 
have the best parents anyone could ask for ever. And like, I think that those things, like those have helped me like say, you know, it's not so bad and it could be worse because there's people who are in the exact same situation I'm in that don't have any of that. Like they have no support system. They have no parents who, who like taught them to be thankful for the things that they have. They have no like close friend group that they can really lean on. And like, so for me, if someone were to come up to me and ask me like, Oh, like if you could give me a scale of one to 10, like how happy are you? I would be like right now or in general. And I think that that's got to be true for most people, right? Because, like, if I, like, take my whole life in assessment, like, I'm happy with it. Like, if I died tomorrow, I'd be like, I had really great things in my life, and I'm super thankful for them. And I'd give it a 10 out of 10. But if you're like, if you could rank, like, the last two years of your life on a scale, <laughs> like, of happiness from one to 10, what would it be? I'd be like a two, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> so like, there's definitely a reason you come over to hang out at her house every day because that <laughs> brings you back up to like, you know, between a seven and a 10, maybe uh, five. You're here. It's a five. Okay, that's fair. That's very fair. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty even keeled, but like, yeah, I definitely see that. Cause right now I'm like in between school and my next job. So I'm just waiting on that to happen. And I'm pretty fucking bored all the time. So, like, specifically, at this moment, um, like, of my day-to-day, I'd say I'm at, like, a five, which is really low for me. But if I ever take a step back and, like, think about... You hear that, folks? You get married, and two weeks later, you're at a five on Oh, my gosh. I was just about to say, when I think about my marriage, and I think about the things that I'm waiting on, and what I have going for me, it it can pretty, pretty quickly bring me back up to a 10 out of 10, or even to the point where it doesn't even really matter because I know I'm going to be okay. But I also know that I don't need those things to be happening. And I think this is me personally, wherever I am, I could accept where I am, you know, unless it was like just dog shit office work where I'm copying papers all the time and I have no prospects like that. I can understand why you could make $70,000 a year and blow your fucking brains out because there's no point. It's, you feel useless. You know, there's nothing to be grateful for just because I have money doesn't mean I'm happy because I, to make that money, I'm completely miserable. Yeah. You know? So, which is why like poor artists can be happy because they're doing what they want to do. Yeah. Well, and so, well, and as you know, referencing things that my parents say is a theme in my <laughs> life. Um, to be fair, your parents are very wise people. Yeah, and they taught me everything I know, and I don't know very much, but <laughs> things I do know, they taught me. And I know that you only know one thing. <laughs> so my dad told me, I remember, I've had this conversation with him a couple times, but I was planning to go to college, like I was trying to pick my major and like decide what I was going to do. And you and, fucked that up. And then like, even when I was, oh yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> Have you ever thought about going back to undergrad? I I would start all over, honestly, but... What would you start on? Um, would you do data science or something? Since knowing what I know R? now, I would do a dual degree in computer science and physics. Mm. Um, That's hard as shit. They're the things that I like, though. But, I mean, if you like it, it's not that hard. Yeah. Anyway. I, I was talking to my dad, like, th- towards the end of my senior year in high school. 
and in several conversations since then, but this is just the first one I remember, is that his like an important thing that I know I've told you before is that like my dad doesn't work his dream job. He yeah. sells crop insurance. And like that's not the kind of he's a big outdoorsy person, like he likes to do things. It's not his dream job, but he lives where he wants to live, he gets to do what he wants to do, and he as far as I can tell and as far as I know is one of the happiest people I know. He said, Walker, like, as you go and like choose a career, you need to understand it's so true what you've heard a million times, money doesn't buy happiness, but it can help. And if you need to sacrifice a little bit to make a little more money in order to do the things you actually want to do, like that's, that's okay. And like, it's okay to not love your job. And in the U S you know, we're not taught that we're set like your whole life. They're like, we love to work and we love our jobs. And like, it's like being individual. And I was reading a, I was in my theater class, the one that I took, and there, there was a really poignant line by a super depressed character. She was living in France, so this is why it makes sense for her to ask the question. But she asked her landlord. I'll go for it. Nice. But she's like, did your parents ever tell you, you know, do whatever you want to do as long as it makes you happy? And he go, and the, the like, African move to France landlord goes, no, that's stupid. And she goes, yes, I agree. I wish my parents, I wish my parents had not reinforced that idea. And I'm like, it is kind of dumb to let people think that they can all be the president or they can all be an astronaut or everyone can be an actor. Or to think at 16 or 17 or 18 that you know what makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. What makes you happy now is not at all what makes you happy. Like, I've spent an inordinate amount of money on video games. Video games not make me nearly as happy as they used to. I'm not sure that I can justify that cost like on my happiness index. It used to make me incredibly happy. I would spend all night playing video games with my friends. But now I'm like... I don't really want to do that. Or like I play video games with myself. Really what it was about my friends now. <laughs> well, and the VR headset's pretty cool. The VR so. headset is pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> like that would bring me a nominal amount of happiness. Yes, it like does. It's like use nominal tonight. Yeah, I don't think you're using it the right way. But... <laughs> I thought it means like less than marginal. No. Well, it depends on the context, I guess. Anyways, it's a side point. Yes. We're getting in the weeds here, Kurt. Oh, isn't that what we do best? Yeah. But... So all that to say, well, I mean, even how much time when you were in high school, because I know the answer for me, did you spend thinking about what does it mean to be happy? I thought about it in a different way. I didn't think about it. I had a great time with my friends. I I went to my friend's pig barn on the weekend and got drunk and like... Walker, you drank before you were 21? I didn't say I wasn't 21 in high school. <laughs> um, but, like, I didn't think about it. I was just happy. Yeah. And um, now that I've experienced some level, some nominal level of unhappiness, <laughs> um, I have thought about it some. And, like, what I like to do is hang out and talk to my friends. I like to travel. I like history and I like geopolitics. And those things, like, unless I get a lot smarter or, like, all of a sudden have a political science degree, I'm probably not going to make a lot of money off those things. Well, John and I were telling you, you don't need to be smart to be a politician. You just need people to like you. Yeah, but I don't know that they do that. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
how can we relate this all back to what we were talking about? I guess, okay, so values, right? Yeah, that's how we got off on this, is that like your cultural values are going to some extent dictate like your levels of happiness. And I'm honestly of the opinion though, like whether happiness is even the right question, maybe satisfaction is the right question. Because if happiness is, if happiness is, what's really the difference? Like, okay, fair enough. You're not, that's actually a really good point. Well, and like at the end of the day though, the thing is, and like, I don't love it. It's just the truth. But if we want to like maintain our democratic multicultural society that we have that does so many amazing things, not saying it's perfect, obviously there's problems, but if we want to maintain that, some people aren't going to be happy. There's not a society. I think, I think there's not a society that I want to live in that everybody is the same level of happy. That's, that's not going to be true. First of all, I like winning and you can't have a winner without a loser. Like, that's the fact of the matter. There are winners and losers in life. And I want as many people to win as possible. But you can't have one without the other. And the same goes for, like, even, like, several books, like, delve pretty deeply into this. Like, like novels, not, like, books on this subject. But talking about, like, what makes good emotions so great are bad emotions. Mm-hmm. Like, how meaningful would happiness really be if you've never been unhappy? Like how important would your friends be to you if you had never had one? Like those things I think are important, but it also speaks to like, you can't have extreme measures of happiness in people without some measure of unhappiness in others. Because someone's always going to be jealous of what someone else has. Someone's always going to wish that they were doing something that they weren't because of their own personal choices. Like those things all are so impactful. And first of all, culturally different depending on who you are. Like some people are going to be like, oh, they have a lot. I don't have that much. I bet I'm still happier than they are. I've been in that position. That's perfect. Like great I'm happy for everybody there. But there's always going to be jealous people. There's always going to be haters, you know, like... There are always going to be people who are unhappy just because they see other people have anything at all. Yes, exactly. If someone has... How many times it's happened... I've I've definitely been unhappy for this reason. I'm sure you have been too, especially... I would say this is common around, like, junior high age. Like, someone has the same thing as you. And it's like, uh... I'm like, this was my thing, and now you have it, and I don't like that. My problem in junior high was more that no one had the same thing I did, and I felt kind of like an outcast. And I was, and I was fucking weird. Like, that's a little on me. I, I was being weird <laughs> on purpose, which I'm sure you can believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no one had the same thing as me, and I didn't know what to do about it. But, I mean, it's still the same point, you know. It's all to, all to do with someone else having or not having something that you have. Yeah. You know? It's all about how are you relative to someone else. And the fact that your happiness does not exist, your happiness, your satisfaction does not exist in a vacuum of yourself, that makes it impossible for everyone to be happy all the time or everyone have the same level of happiness. Because you're going to have the Buddhist who goes... I was literally fixing to say, like, this goes back... No, I mean, like, the only way around this is if you implement, like, 
state mandated Buddhism. <laughs> like, well, they make everybody just stop wanting anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ultimately, Buddhists have it right. The happiest I've been, like, for consistent periods of time is when I've just accepted my position and known that. I can affect things, but I can't affect other things. So I can do, I'm just going to accept where I am. I'm not going to wish for something else. And that's made me like, dang, like that's when I'm looking back, not at the moment, but looking back, that's like my most productive, my happiness is where I'm just like, I'm vibing with myself. See, I'm kind of the opposite. Whenever I come to that realization about something, I'm like, eh, doesn't really matter anyways, (laughs) does it? (laughs) It's like, uh... It's 10.30 a.m. I should probably get off Twitter and start, like, my day. Eh, doesn't really matter anyways. I can't change anything about my situation, so... (laughs) My point is, I don't think... Like, while I do think that there are different ways we could evaluate quality of life, (laughs) I don't think that, like, this penultimate goal should be... Everybody should be happy. Because if that happens, either we've all come under some, like, single, like, galaxy brain that's overtaken us all, and so, like, it's happy, so we're happy, we've all been hypnotized, something like that's happened at that point. Because the way that I see it, we're not ever all going to be happy, Mm -hmm. even if we all get exactly the same thing all the time, we're not all going to be happy. Yeah. Actually, that would probably make more people unhappy than happy. Why do you think communism has failed everywhere it's tried? Communism has never actually been tried. Neither has capitalism. So if we're going to say that argument, you can never say capitalism doesn't work, okay? The people who say that are fucking liars and bullshitters. Neither has actually... This is... No, I'm not going to get into this. But, yes. I said it to be inflammatory. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. You're right. Um, I forgot what I was going to say, and then you inflamed me. And now I can't remember what I was going to say. So thanks for that. What did you say just before then? Maybe that'll jog my memory a little bit. I, no one's ever going to be happy. Oh, like, I mean, yes. I mean, yes, some of us will be happy. <laughs> but no, no one's, one's ever, ever like, gonna everybody's happy. never going to be happy. Yes. Um, and then, I mean, the importance of that, like, so to make an example of another economic thing, because that's all I know and I don't even know that much, um, you don't measure a proxy for people's job satisfaction because it's really hard to measure that in a subjective or objective way because people are different is but this goes back to what i was saying earlier how important is job satisfaction well this is just you know measurements of one thing via another of how you would measure because you're right you're never going to have everyone that's happy you're never going to have everyone that's satisfied with their job or with their prospects but someone's Op, uh, optimism, that's a better way to state it. Not necessarily the job satisfaction, but their optimism is something called the quits rate. So that's how many people are leaving their job voluntarily, i.e., how many think that they are, they have good enough prospects that they can quit their job. And obviously there's some element of some people don't have any other choice, but everyone's making a value judgment about it. So how many people think they can survive without their current job? And so are optimistic enough to quit. That's actually a great sign of how an economy is doing. Because if people are quitting their jobs as they are right now, I mean, now we know it's a sign of something else. No one's satisfied with their job. But you can see that as a positive, you know, in the wider context of people are demanding better treatment at work. And they're going to get it. 
you would have to measure it, I guess, the, the point of that is that you would have to measure it via a proxy, probably somehow, of, you know, how many people are happier than they were 10 years ago or five years ago. Not necessarily, are you happy now? Are you happier than you were? Or do you think you will be happier in the future? Yeah, I like that, actually. I yeah. like that a lot. And then you can take all of those things and you can look at, okay, what goes on in this country or in this person's local area? You know, why is everyone in this little tiny town in Texas so happy? Oh, it's because they're all part of a cult that worships turkeys. And so they can't think of anything unhappy. Stalks me. <laughs> <laughs> they can't think of anything unhappy so long as turkeys exist, you know? Or it's, you know, GDP is good. People have, you know, people perceive, for instance, uh, income inequality to be less unfair than wealth inequality just because it's focused on so much. So there's not high income inequality in the country. Everyone has, for instance, as you were talking about in Denmark, everyone is pretty similar. So there's very little social strife. Yeah. Because no one has a different view of what they want. So there's less competing opinions. And so there, I actually read a paper a while back that was talking about how income inequality is actually not an inherently bad thing. It's not. It's the social mobility, or the, in, I don't know if it's social or economic mobility. Um, like, I don't know the difference between those two words is what I'm saying. Um, between what and what? Like, I don't know if it's called social mobility or economic mobility. Like, what I'm saying is it's not the actual income equality that matters. It's the ability to move from low income to high income and vice versa that really indicates like the health of an economy because like there's always going to be people who work harder people who don't work as hard people who get better opportunities people who don't get better opportunities and all of that comes down to whether you can change that situation for yourself mm -hmm. and if you can well, whether you think you can whether or not you can if you think you can yeah yeah and if you can't obviously then that becomes a problem that's why at the end of the day, Rome had so many ups and downs because they had this pretty elite working class, like... There was a class system. Not, not working class, because they did class, have a working class that was still super poor. There was a class system that was almost unbreakable. Yeah, yeah. If you were poor, you stayed poor. And you can only give out so much social welfare before there's no more money to give out. Yes, exactly. Unless there was a civil war, and then you could join the army and climb the ranks and... Yeah. Be the emperor. Uh, Diocletian, he's a BA. But, um, like, if that's your only opportunity, it's not necessarily indicative of a healthy, uh, right. like, a healthy quality of life in a nation. But just because you have a pretty high income inequality, that doesn't say much unless you can't cross that barrier. Right. I guess. Okay, just to wrap up for the sake of editing audio. We could agree that if we're going to think of a way to measure the, what is it, the growth of a society other than GDP in a way that is better for people in terms of their health, we need to ask them about their happiness or satisfaction. And, and we didn't even really get that much into like health and wellness. but Well, again, I thought, I thought we agreed it doesn't really matter as long as people think that they're happy. It doesn't matter how actually healthy you are. Mm, you're right. Yeah. 
Because, I mean, at the end of the day, whatever's in your head is going to determine what, you know, what's going on around How you live. Right. So you need to, so the happiness index, I think it's by the WHO. The happiness index is, that's a real thing. No, I know it is. Okay. Is a really great way to measure it, or at least the best we have now. And then maybe that's something we should look at going forward instead of GDP as a way of measuring a country's development. And maybe we should even look at tweaking the happiness index with like proxy indicators to see what's going on. You know, instead of are you happy now, are you happier than you were, or do you think you'll be happier in the future? Yeah, I agree with that. So basically, all the smart people are bullshit, and we're the intelligent ones. Exactly.